This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Our guest is Alpesh Parmar. Thanks for being on the show, Alpesh. Absolutely, Whitney. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. A little about Alpesh. He owns over 100 residential rental units in markets like Dallas, Atlanta, and Birmingham. Also invests internationally in markets like Belize, Panama, and India. He hosts the famous investing podcast, Wealth Matters. He is also the co-author of Amazon number one best-selling book, Resilience, Turning Your Setback into a comeback. I like that title. And so, Alpesh, thank you again for your time. And let's jump right in. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing in real estate. And let's jump in. Sure. So, yeah, I started with real estate around 2011 when I became accidental landlord, right? And started picking up real estate slowly. And then in 2015, I drank the Kool-Aid by reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? And it changed my mind. So since 2015, started investing in real estate, And I started investing in syndications in 2017. That's how I found out about syndications, crowdfunding, because I'm also coming from IT background, about 19, 20 years of IT experience. So also understand tech, startup, et cetera, but wanted to get out of IT at some point in my career. And so currently I invest actively as well as passively. So I invest on my own, raise capital as well. And, you know, if I like the deal, I'll invest in other syndications too. Nice. I know something that is important to you is being diversified. And I'd love for us to go into that a little bit because I think there's different ways to think about that, whether it's the asset classes or markets or active passive or, I mean, and even in your case, you're investing in different countries as well. And so I'd love to dive into that a little bit, but get us started. You know, somebody that's just thinking, well, I'm just going to start investing in real estate. Well, this may be way out of their thought process just yet, you know? So get us started in why maybe we would want to think about diversifying like you have, and then let's dive into some ways that you have. Sure. So real estate diversification works same as stock market. And why I like that analogy, because, you know, we have been told by fund managers or 401k, when we have 401k, right, that you got to diversify, you have to diversify. But just looking at the stock market, we are still tied to Wall Street, right? At least in real estate world, There are so many ways just by going to asset types. So let me just name them. And I know I have been listening to your show as well. So I know most of your listeners are very savvy. But you can start with single family residences to multifamily, which you and I do a lot. Self-storage facilities, mobile home parks, office buildings, triple net investments, shopping centers, parking garages. I've met all kinds of investors who have been doing all this. And I was even surprised as well as baffled that you can invest in a laundromat, you can buy an automated car wash, right? Or if you just want to do something passively, become a private money lender, right? Or something actively wholesaling, right? So there are so many more ways for you to get started in real estate. But even on top of that, diversification real estate works by market. So I started studying real estate in 2015, but I went back to 2009 as well as 2001 because I I immigrated to US and I call this country as my own now. I became citizen five years ago, but I immigrated here in 2001 And I saw that cycle, the 2000, 2001, as well as 2008 and 9, and I realized you got to be diversified, right? So real estate markets, when I followed, 
I saw that even real estate markets don't go together, right? They have their own cycles. So it's not like stock market where something happened in Iran or coronavirus in China and we started crashing, right? Because I lived in San Francisco Bay Area. Our market was the first one to go down, residential as well as multifamily, everything else in 2008 and nine. But then I looked at taxes, the market barely moved. And now I look at New Jersey or East Coast market, they have not even gone back up to the 2006 highs, but whereas California or especially Bay Area is double and some areas are triple the 2006 high or peaks, right? So that showed me that real estate markets have their own cycle and some markets may not even deteriorate. Some people like to play the appreciation game and some people like you and I play both cash flow and appreciation hybrid game, right? So I prefer to invest in different asset types as well as different markets, right? But on the flip side, as one person or even as a team, how many markets can you operate in, right? It's very hard because I was following about 20 markets. Then I flew to Dallas market, Atlanta, Birmingham market, built my own team and bought from single family all the way to duplexes, fourplexes. And I own a couple of nine units on my own now in those markets. And then I realized I cannot do that process. I cannot go through the entire thing again and again in different markets. I'll be stretching myself in managing the property as well as keeping track of all the markets. So then I started looking into syndications and I realized there are other big players out there who can do that job far better than me, right? Mm. But I enjoyed investing in real estate, so I kept investing myself. But I like other markets like, let's say, Las Vegas. So I invested with other syndicator, right? Because I did not want to get in that market myself. And buying a 200-unit apartment building was not my cup of tea. So why not go with someone who knows that market as well as that asset type? Also, then I invested in a self-storage syndication with another big player. And I'm happy with that investment because they have self-storage in Raleigh market, Charlotte market. Those are some of the markets I love, but I cannot go in that market by myself. You know, again, as I said, I cannot build team in every, all of those markets. So that's how I look at diversification in real estate, right? Pick different markets, which you love, as well as asset types, because some of those assets will go up fast, but will also come down fast. So you want to then have some recession-resistant assets like self-storage and mobile home parks, right? Which may not go up and down a lot, but will give you a pretty nifty cash flow, right? My recent deal I'm working on is senior housing facility. People will think that I go after shiny object. Yes, I do, but I also play calculated risks, right? So the senior housing, I have been looking into it since 2017. I could not found any good opportunity in my local market. And finally, I met up with a couple of big players. And instead of me trying to buy a 16 or 24 bed, we are buying an 132 bed, 86 unit facility for 15 million, right? So I couldn't have been able to do that on my own and I'm raising capital for that senior housing. Our guest is Deidre Ward. Thanks for being on the show, Deidre. Thank you.
And Deidre is an editor at Million Acres and studies REITs and crowdfunding as ways that all levels of investors can add diversification and income to their portfolios. At Million Acres, the real estate investing arm of Molly Fool, the team studies a variety of diversification strategies for real estate investors. I know that's something we talk about a lot on the show, and we have lots of passive investors that listen to the show. Obviously, we work with lots of passive investors, so the operators need to understand that side of the business just as much. And we're always talking about diversifying our portfolio, what that looks like, how different people are doing it. And we look forward to learning more about Million Acres and how you all are helping investors do this. Deidre, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Tell me a little about your focus at Million Acres and maybe give us a little bit about what Million Acres does for investors. And let's try to help investors, you know, think through that. Yeah. So the main millionacres.com is our free site. So we publish about 15 articles a day on things that would be of interest to all types of real estate investors. So rental properties, trends that are happening, REITs that we're watching, all sorts of things like that. And then we have two premium services as well, one of which is Real Estate Winners, which is recommendations on REITs and real estate-related stocks, and then Mogul, which includes REITs and real estate-related stocks, as well as recommendations on individual CREs that are found on platforms, as well as direct deals. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. And for the listener that said, because I get asked this question often, you know, they say, Whitney, what's the difference in a REIT or syndication? Or, you know, and and even terms like REIT and crowdfunding, you know, is that the same or is it different? There is a lot to know because even when you talk about REITs, you have equity REITs and then you have mortgage REITs. And then when you break down equity REITs, you have publicly traded REITs that you buy, you know, through a brokerage stock market investments. And you also have private REITs. You have REITs that are not on the stock market that are publicly open, something like Realty Mogul or Fundrise. So there's just so much variety for people to really take advantage of. No doubt about that. I mean, it's interesting. You talk about a REIT and you're like, well, there's these three different kinds. And, you know, I want the listener to get too overwhelmed there. But like, how do they begin to think through which one of the, you know, the, the equity, the debt or private REIT? What's going to be the best path for most investors that you find? Or why would they choose one or the over the other? I think for most people starting out, a publicly traded equity REIT is going to be the way to go. Those mortgage REITs tend to be a little bit more volatile. And we really believe in buy and hold when it comes to investments. And an equity REIT is just a better option that way. And the great thing about that is that even within REITs, there's all kinds of diversification, right? So in the past year, not the best year for REITs given the pandemic, but you saw this wide variety of how REITs performed. You had things like data center REITs, and those had a really good year because we were all consuming so much more data. Whereas something like a retail REIT or a hotel hospitality REIT maybe didn't have the best year, but then toward the end of the year, once the vaccines started to get announced, you saw more interest in those kind of what they call reopening REITs. Okay. No, that's interesting. And how do you recommend, I know your all's website has tons of information. How do most people learn though about a publicly traded REIT to ensure this is what they need to add to their portfolio? I think there's just a lot of information out there. And the good thing about a publicly traded REIT is that, you know, they have to do investor calls. They have to do things like, you know, publish a 10K every year and have quarterly earnings calls. So you really get a chance to actually listen to, you know, the CEO and the C-suite talk about the company, what they're looking for in the future. So you have that benefit right now of, of, 
you know, all of that information is out there for you. And of course, you know, we write about different types of REITs every day. Plenty of other sites cover it. There's also uh, NAWREIT, the National Association of REITs, and that's a good resource as well. So some pros for investing in a REIT is the diversification, right? I mean, you're investing in numerous projects. I mean, what are some of the cons? I would say some of the cons are you don't have a lot of control, right? So a REIT is just going to make its own decisions and invest in what it invests in. And you don't really have a lot of, you don't have any say in that. So you're sort of along for the ride and you never really know what's going to happen next. So that would be one of the downsides. What would an investor expect as far as the plan of that investment on a typical type of REIT like this, as far as hold period or expected growth or you know, how do you all project some of those things? It so much depends on the individual REIT, but generally you want to hold one for you know, probably at least a few years to go through a couple of, of cycles and really get the benefit and, and the growth out of it, as well as the dividends. And that's another thing is that REITs pay off dividends. That's part of the structure of publicly traded REITs. So that's one reason that REITs are really great to hold in a retirement account. And that's something that people should consider as well, is that if you hold them in a retirement account, then it helps your taxes. And so that's another thing to keep in mind. So tax benefits, do they pass through to the investor if you're investing through a REIT? Yes, exactly. And you mentioned a minute ago, like they, the REIT may publish a 10K every year. What is that? So with the SEC, they have to publish this annual report filed with the SEC. And you can always look at all of those reports. So the SEC makes all of those publicly available. So anytime you're curious about a company, you can look at their 10K, their annual report, and all of the numbers are in there, as well as any statements that they've made about projected growth or things like that. What about just some tips on assessing a REIT for this passive investor that's never invested in a REIT before? You know, some other things that they should be considering or things they should be looking at to just Look at one compared to the other. Well, you want to try as much as possible when you're comparing REITs to compare apples to apples. So if you're comparing a data center REIT and a hospitality REIT, that's going to be a little bit challenging because they're such different industries. But a couple of things I like to look at, I like to look at how diversified in terms of location their holdings are. So are they all in one city? So you might have a REIT that's mostly based in New York, for example. And last year would have been a really tough year to hold a REIT that is mostly based in something like New York office space. So you want to see what they're holding, where they're holding it. You want to see what their strategy is for growth and where their income is coming from, because some most of it is probably going to be coming from rent from the properties that they own, but it could be coming from other businesses as well. So how much would would an investor typically plan to invest in a REIT? Or is there minimums? Is it 5,000? Is it 100,000? Or are there some that, that are both? I mean, it, it all depends on the share price. And I would say that you, you know, you want to diversify a bit. So you want to have, I would say probably at least a couple thousand to get started. Just that way you can buy maybe a couple of different REITs, maybe start building a little portfolio based on some of the trends that you're seeing. I mean, that's one of the great things about investing in REITs. You get to see like, okay, what trends are we noticing that we feel like are going to be long-term trends? Are we seeing movement toward certain areas? For example, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is movement toward the Sunbelt areas, right? So we're seeing so much migration towards the Sunbelt. So looking maybe at REITs that have multifamily in those areas or, you know, other things like that. So REITs really give you a chance to kind of invest in the trends that you're observing. 
And I was just thinking through, you know, investing through a read and obviously, you know, one con like we talked about is just no control and things like that. It was often you don't have much control if you're investing passively. However, I just wonder how much is shared about the operators or is there a way for the investor to see like, okay, these are the operators that, that we're investing through or anything like that? So with a REIT, you'll get to see, usually they will tell you who some of their main tenants are. And that's another thing to look for too. So during the last year, for example, one of the things that I think we all learned is that there's a lot of difference in retail, the difference between malls and essential retail. So the companies, the REITs that had tenants like Walgreens or like Kroger's or things like that tended to do better than ones that were mall REITs. So in their investor materials, usually on their website, you should be able to see both where they're investing as well as what their major tenants are. And that's an important factor as well. When did you, I guess personally, like when did you learn about REITs and how did you feel comfortable about like this way of investing in real estate? I think I started off more investing on the stock market side and I didn't really learn about REITs till later. And I think that's partly because if you start investing in stocks, you start looking at the tech stocks and they have these really big swings and you think like you kind of get on a rocket ship. Most REITs are, they're not a rocket ship. They're a steady, good locomotive. And REITs overperform the S&P 500 over time, but it takes a long time. So it took me a while to get invested, to get interested in REITs. I came into real estate the way most people do, you know, like buying a house and looking at it that way. But then in my background, I worked with a lot of real estate agents and brokers. I worked at a couple of brokerages. And that's when I learned that a lot of people were doing a bunch of different ways of investing in real estate, investing in commercial, investing in, in you know rental investment properties, and investing in REITs because they were sort of building out a full portfolio that kind of protected them depending on what happened next. No, it's interesting. I just think it's neat to hear how people learn about something like this. I hear the fear in investors' voices often when they learn about even syndication for the first time. It's like, or you know, or REITs or or whatever. Or, you know, it depends on how you're raised and what you've been exposed to. I think sometimes. But you know, as far as investors that you all work with, are do you all hear investors talk about maybe REITs versus syndication and maybe how they put both of those into their portfolio? Ideally, we want people to feel like they have a really diversified portfolio. And so we do hear people being interested in syndication. People are always looking for deals. And part of the reason that we developed Mogul, our first premium service, was because people were looking at crowdfunding deals and they weren't really sure about what they were doing at all. You know, it's very interesting. You go on and you see these things, but you don't really know what you're looking for. And you don't really know who to trust. And so that's that's kind of where our services evolved. And I think with syndication, that is, you know, that's sort of the most important thing is learning how to evaluate who you're working with. For sure. Yeah. The char- I always say the character of your operator is the number one thing that I would be concerned about. Okay. So, you know, thinking through what happened over this past year and just being prepared for any kind of downturn, how do we think through that when we're looking at a REIT? You know, it's interesting. A lot of people are saying like, what is a pandemic proof investment? And good luck. Right. I feel like you can't ever invest based on the past. I feel history does repeat, but it never repeats the same way. So I look at things that are we're always going to need. So housing, for example, we are in a major housing crisis. We are going to need a lot more housing both multifamily and individual single family. One of the things I'm looking at a lot and hearing so much about is build to rent is for single family becoming a huge thing. 
So things like that, housing. I mean, I've mentioned data centers before. Industrial is another thing. The need for warehouse space and logistics centers is just huge growing. That's not going away. So you look at the larger trends, especially if you're a buy and hold investor, you think, okay, what's happening? We've got these large populations. What are they doing? What stages are they in life? And where are they going next? So I think that's that's a good way to think about things. You, you don't want to make decisions, I think, based on what's happening in the now. And I feel like last year, there was a lot of that. And I think that's partly why we saw some of the volatility in the stock market is that people were making just so many decision swings over and over based on information in the current moment versus information that is going to last over the long haul. Do you have any predictions, Deidre, just for the real estate market over the next six to 12 months? We are in such an odd situation right now on the residential side. It's been, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I've been studying real estate for decades and, you know, we've had low inventory that is just putting so much pressure on the market. The good news is, you know, it's been great for the home builders and there's a lot of activity in home building. At some point, this market has to break. And I know that even before the pandemic, people were saying this, we're in this extra innings of this real estate cycle. But at some point, there will be a shift here. And I think that that's something we all need to be prepared for. But I think that there will never be a time in which I don't think we're going to see a slump like we saw, like the great financial crisis. I don't think we're going to see a huge foreclosure boom. A lot of people have been talking about that. The numbers don't really support that. And also, I feel like when you look at what happened then, you have so many different players in that space now. You have the iBuyers like Zillow and Redfin and Opendoor, and you have large platforms like Invitation Homes buying rental properties. So you've got so many different things happening that you're not going to see that same cycle again. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 